This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. Turn your Bible with me to Judges chapter 13, page 226. If you did not bring a Bible, we're going to read the whole chapter. So you're going to want to follow along with us. So either get it open in your, in your device or get a Bible. There's some under the blue chairs. There's some in the backs of the green chairs, page 226. I want you to follow along uh, with me as we, as we go through this. For our guests, we're in a series in the book of Judges called When Wrong Seems Right. Oh, what a great, great um, song that we sang to introduce this guy today. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We're going to talk today, starting today with Samson. All right, Talking about somebody who wandered, somebody who left the God he loved, somebody whose life was not perfect in any stretch of the imagination, uh, Samson. So um, I hope you're there with me and you follow along and take some notes. Today we get to the seventh recorded time that Israel goes down this road, and we'll see it in verse 1, of doing evil in the Lord's sight. In, in the Bible, the number 7, by the way, this is the seventh time, and for you Bible scholars, you know what I'm about to say. In the Bible, the number 7 typically means completion. Tip, sometimes means perfection. There's no perfection here, but there is some completion. This is the last time that this will be mentioned. And God's response to, well, look at verse 1. This, the Israelites again did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Seventh time it said that in this book of Judges. And so God, what does God do? He lets them be oppressed by the Philistines for 40 years, it tells us. 40 years, God handed them over to the Philistines. Did you hear that? God handed them over to the bad guys. God does that sometimes with us. Why? You know the, the, the phrasing, the school of hard knocks? I think the Israelites invented it in the book of Judges, all right? Forty years, which was, by the way, the longest period of time of oppression in this book of Judges. And even after these 40 years, the Philistines will continue to threaten Israel because we know we, re, we fast forward um, 50 years or so into, into the life of David. And who do we find? How do we meet David? You know, after he's been anointed to be the king, we find David doing what? Killing a Philistine giant named Goliath. So they're going to continue to bother them and harass them. Um, most likely, the most famous of the judges in this 325-year period of Israel's history is this man, Samson. And we're fascinated with the stories. We, we heard them when we were children. Um, and we're fascinated with him because Samson is really kind of like the Bible superhero, isn't he? He could do most amazing things with his strength that, that nobody else could possibly do. He had really long hair. I'm trying to emulate Samson. I'm letting my hair grow. You know, Gail keeps after me, when are you going to get your hair cut? And, and I keep telling her, Cinnamon went after I can do a man bun. When I can do a man bun, I'm going to come in one Sunday with a man bun and tight jeans and a man purse. You know, I'm going to do the whole thing trying to be relevant. You know what I mean? And, uh, and she, you know what she told me? She said, I'll cut it off in your sleep. She's Delilah, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, she's Delilah. <laughs> Killed a lion with his bare hands. 
He caught 300 foxes, tied their tails together, put torches in their tails, and burned down the Philistines' crops. He killed 1,000 Philistine men with the jawbone of a donkey. Carried a city's gates. You know, they had the big walled cities. He put the gates on his back and carried it for 40 miles out of town. And in the end, he brought down the Philistine temple by himself. On four different occasions in this man's life, and we'll cover this as we go through the life of Samson, on four different occasions we are told that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, giving him incredible strength. He was strong. He wasn't strong because he went to the gym and worked out, by the way. If you saw Samson in person, I doubt that he had rippling, big, bulging muscles. I don't think he was a Charles Atlas. I don't think he was a Mr. Universe type. I think he was just a normal-looking guy because his strength was not because he had worked out. His strength was because God gave him something supernatural. And as strong as Samson was to do all those things that we just talked about, the supernatural feats, as strong as he was, Samson also had great weaknesses. Let me go through them real quick, quick, quickly with you. He had a weakness for women. How many powerful men do we know of in this world who have a weakness for women, huh? He had a weakness for women and was willing to disobey God in order to get a woman who pleased him. He disobeyed his parents. He practiced deceit. He became friendly with 30 Philistines. They became his buddies, and they were the enemies of God's people. He gave in to his temper and vindictiveness. He had a cruel streak in his nature. He enjoyed the company of a prostitute, flirted with evil. He revealed the secret of his strength to the enemy. He was too cocky and self-confident, and he broke his Nazarite vow. Now, chapters 13 through 16 cover this man's life and his successes and failures. Today, we're just going to try to get through chapter 13. So I want you to get started with me. Let's read. We've read verse 1. So let's pick up with verse 2. There was a certain man from Zorah, from the family of Dan, whose name was Manoah. His wife was unable to conceive and had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman. Have we met this angel of the Lord before in the book of Judges? And the answer is... Yes. The angel of the Lord shows up again, and he appears to the woman, and he said to her, It is true that you're unable to conceive and have no children, but you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now, please be careful not to drink wine or beer or to eat anything unclean. For indeed, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You must never cut his hair, because the boy will be a Nazarite to God from birth, and he will begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. Now, Samson's birth must have taken place shortly after the Philistines' oppression began these 40 years, since we know he judged Israel for 20 years, and the Philistines were there for 20. So about the time he's 20 years old was, is when he becomes an adult and begins to practice as a judge. One of the things we'll see different about Samson being a judge than the other judges, all the other judges were primarily, what, military leaders, weren't they? Samson's not going to lead any army. Samson's going to fight on his own. He's going to do things by himself. And uh, so that's going to be a difference we're going to see in Samson. Uh, the, the angel of the Lord, who is the Lord Jesus Christ in a pre-incarnate appearance uh, to men that he did on numerous occasions, not a lot, but numerous occasions in the Old Testament. He appears to Samson's mother, who, by the way, is never named. Dad's name, Manoah, but we don't know mom's name. She's never named, and he appears to her and says he's going to be 
a Nazarite. A Nazarite vow. The word Nazarite means devoted or consecrated. It does not, now some people say, was Jesus a Nazarite? No, Jesus was a what? Nazarene. What's the difference? He was from Nazareth. That's where he grew up, the hometown of Nazareth. So he was a Nazarene. Just like those of you here today from New Jersey, any New Jersey people here? Um, we call you Yankees. All right, so <laughs> they called him Nazarene. All right. They might have called him Yankee too because Nazareth was up in the north of, uh, of Galilee. Um, Nazarite was someone who took a vow, and it's spelled out for us in the Old Testament, and I'll talk, talk about that in just a moment. But the word means consecrated or, devo- or devoted. The supernatural birth of this produced a man here. You know, this one was unable to conceive, and the angel of the Lord says to her, I'm going to fix that for you so you're going you're to have a son. Supernatural birth produced a man whose life would have a supernatural purpose. Supernatural means it's something God has done. And what I want to say to us this morning, the thing that I want you to walk out here with today is I have been given a supernatural purpose in my life. He was born so that he could have a supernatural purpose. He had a supernatural kind of birth, and so have you and I who have been born again. That's the supernatural act of God that gives us a supernatural purpose. Samson's life had, and the amazing abilities that he had were so he could be devoted to God, which meant the Nazarite vow, if we read about it in the Old Testament, tells us several things. It says he couldn't drink fermented alcoholic beverages. Why not? Well, alcohol, one of the things it can do is it can control a person's mind. I remember in health class in, in high school, they sat, took us all to the gym and they showed us some movies not videos, they showed us some movies. Remember the old movie projectors? Showed us some movies back in the day in the gym about health. One of the movies was about smoking, and so I remember them showing us this movie about smoking, and them showing us the lungs that were taken out of a lifetime smoker who died of cancer. Maybe you saw that same movie, and I mean, they were black. Oh, and you looked at that and you said, I don't want to do that to myself. At least that's what I said. And then they showed us movie about drinking alcohol and all the tragic things that come can come as a result of that. And I remember they showed a brain, a human brain that had been taken from somebody that died and someone who's alcoholic and, and, and all the rest. And I remember them, now if you have a weak stomach, just kind of plug your ears for a second, but I remember them taking and dissecting that brain and showing us inside that brain the difference. And I remember them telling me In that movie, in that class, every time you drink an alcoholic beverage, you destroy brain cells. And I realize I don't have any to spare. So I, you know, (laughs) I don't need to be doing that. (laughs) So anyway, no alcoholic beverages. His life would be devoted to God so that he could make himself controlled by God and not make himself susceptible to the results of alcohol. He couldn't eat unclean food. That means the dietary restrictions of God's law in the Old Testament provided for Israel had to be strictly obeyed. And we asked, a lot of people want to argue about those things, and why do they have those laws? And You, know, couldn't eat, you could not eat shellfish. You know, New Year's Eve, I was over at Tom Lee's house eating roasted oysters. In the Old Testament, that was unclean. You know, you could not eat a lot of different foods. And why did God give those laws to them? Was it because was it God was trying to be a killjoy? They never enjoyed. Some of you from out of town, you won't know what I'm talking. If you, if you want to know what I'm talking about, ask us. They never enjoyed 
Northeast North Carolina barbecue. That's manna from heaven. And, the, and so they never could eat anything like that. Why was that? And the answer is really, it was, it was to keep them from getting sick. They had no refrigeration. They had no way to preserve foods. There was no USDA, or I guess it would be IDA, Israel, and, and uh, to inspect their food so those meats could easily spoil, especially in the hot desert climate in which they lived. Those meats that came from animals that ate other dead animals like vultures and shellfish or lived in the muck, the pigs, the oysters. Uh, th- those, those foods were forbidden to Israel because they, in those times, in those days, they just were not healthy and God wanted his people to be free from sickness and disease. And we know from Numbers chapter 6, verses 2 through 6, where it talks about this Nazarite vow, they also could not come into contact with a dead body. Couldn't touch a dead person, a dead animal. Again, why? It's a health issue. Couldn't cut his hair. For Samson, his long hair would be a symbol, an outward symbol of this vow that he had taken, this separation to God that he had been devoted to. You know, people would say, look at that guy's long hair. That's odd. He must be separated to God. Made him stand apart. But more importantly, it was also symbolic of the supernatural strength that God would give him. But please hear me when I say this. His strength was not in his muscles. His strength was not in his hair. His strength was in his relationship to God. Can I say that again? His strength was not in anything about him physically. His strength had to do with his relationship to God. It was God who made him strong and not anything else. Now, normally a Nazarite vow was something that a man made when he's a little bit older, when he can make his own choice, I'm going to be a Nazarite. I'm going to take this vow for six months, a year, whatever it might have been. That was the normal thing, but Samson's vow was made by his parents for him and extended from the time of his birth until the time of his death. Because from his birth, he was chosen by God to deliver, the angel of the Lord told mom, to deliver Israel from the Philistines. So in your notes, please note that his life had a godly purpose. Now, some of us may have had something similar in our lives. Maybe that our mom seemed to be unable to, to conceive, and then your mom's told you the story, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and God gave me you. And then she said, I'm kind of disappointed. No, she didn't say that. (laughs) I prayed. (laughs) I prayed. Some of you may have had that experience, and God answered the prayer, and you showed up, and God does that sometimes. But none of us have the testimony that that Jesus showed up and talked to mom and said, here's what's going to happen. You and your husband are going to have a son. Here are specific instructions as to how to raise him and what his life purpose will be. None of us have had that. That makes Samson really different from all of us in this room. But let me say to you, if Jesus is your Savior, you have had a birth experience that is the same with all Christians. The, the new birth that Jesus spoke of in John chapter 3 when he talked to Nicodemus, means that there's been a time in my life, there's been a time in your life if you're a Christian, when by his grace, you put your faith in him alone and he changed your life. That happened to me when I was 10 years old. I heard the gospel. I said, I, I have never accepted. I knew Jesus, who knew Jesus was. I knew about the Bible. I knew a lot of the Bible stories. I went to Sunday school every week, went to church all the time. But I had never come to the place in my life where I recognize I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. And Jesus is the only one qualified. So I trust in him and him alone. And God then birthed me into his own 
family. He forgave my sins and he changed me and he promised me to give me everlasting life. If you're a Christian, you've had that same experience. And with that new birth, God gave, that, gave you new life and he gave you with that new life a new purpose. Paul wrote about it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Read this with me. This is out of the New Living Translation. Read it aloud with me. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Do you get that? He saved you so you can do the things He planned for you long ago. He's got things planned for your life. And the big question for you and for me this morning is, am I doing those things? Am I doing the things that God planned for me long ago? But how do I find out, Rick, what those things are? I don't know. I'm kind of new to this. How do I know what those things are? Let me give you three ways to find out, all right? Number Number one, do what his word tells me, all right? How do I find out what God's plan is for me? How do I know what God wants me to do? The first thing I, I would suggest to you is get to know this book. Open up your Bible, read it, learn it, listen as it's being taught, and and learn the things that are in the Scriptures. If you do not own a copy of the Bible, if you don't have a copy of the Word of God, then we want to give you one, okay? We've got some at the Welcome Center and stop by and see us after the gathering. If I read something's in the Bible and the Lord's commanded me to do, that means I do it. It's pretty simple. It's pretty cut and dry. I do what His Word tells me. Secondly, I need to build a close relationship with the Lord. You see, when I'm born into his family, I have, now have a relationship with him, don't I? He's my father. I'm his child. But some of you know what, it, what it's like to not have a close relationship with a parent. Maybe you've moved away and apart. Maybe there's been issues between. You don't have a close. If I'm going to find out what God's purpose and plan for my life is, I need to develop a close relationship with him. Because he doesn't tell me in his word. I'm not going to find any verses in this Bible that say, Rick, take this job and not that one. You know, when you come to those decisions where you're trying to figure out the will of God in your life, you young people, there's nothing in here that's going to say, I want you to go to this college and not that one. Right? It's just not in there. Buy this car or not that, or that one. Now, Bernie, was, Bernie would search fast and furiously in the Bible to find Midway Auto Sales in here. And, uh, but it's not there. Um, you're not going to find those things in the Word of God. So what do I do to build a close relationship with the Lord? I work on my prayer life, and that makes me more sensitive to His leading. And then number three, build relationships with His people, the church. Build relationships with His people. The church, because within the family of God, within the church, I find mentors, I find accountability, I find counsel, I find models to follow. The word, relationship with the Lord I need to build, and close relationships, solid relationships with the church. Verse 6, chapter 13, verse 6. Then, a, then the woman, again, she's not named, there, and there's an important point for that. Then the woman went and told her husband, a man of God came to me. He looked like the awe-inspiring angel of God. Where'd she get that from? She had heard stories. She heard about Gideon and the angel of the Lord appearing to him. And Gideon probably told people what he looked like, you know, after that happened. And so the stories have been spread orally through the nation of Israel over the years. He kind of, he reminded me of what they've said the angel of God looks like. I I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. 
He said to me, you will conceive and give birth to a son. Therefore, do not drink wine or beer, do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite to God from birth until the day of his death. Let me just interject something in here. Next Sunday, we are going to be talking about the sanctity of human life. Right? And, and Andy and Nathan and Bonnie have put together a gathering. We're going to be talking about a lot of neat things, about fostering, about adoption, about defending the unborn. And those. But I want you to get something here that, that I really never noticed before until I read this story. Mom, you're not to do drink this and you're not to eat that. Why? Because this child who lives in you is a Nazarite. He's already been uh, consecrated and separated and devoted to God in the womb. He's alive. Protect him. What God was telling mom there. Verse 8, Manoah prayed to the Lord. Dad, she tells her husband this, and dad prays to the Lord and says, Please, Lord, let the man of God you sent come again to us and teach us what we should do for the boy who will be born. Does that sound like an expression of faith to you? It does to me. Did he say, well, you're crazy. No more pepperoni pizza before we go to bed, all right? You're having crazy dreams. He didn't say anything to her like that. He accepted what she said. In fact, she prayed to God and said, I want to end on this too because I really want to know how this boy should be raised that you're going to send to us. Lord, come back and teach us. And God listened to Manoah, verse 9. And the angel of God came again to the woman She was sitting in the field, and her husband Manoah was not with her. And the woman ran quickly to her husband and told him, Hey, the man who came to me today, just come back. I mean, this all happens in a day. He's come back. So Manoah got up and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he asked, Are you the man who spoke to my wife? Now look at the next verse, because he's going to tell him his name. Oh, you say, it doesn't say his name, it says, I am. Hello. Moses talking to the burning bush. You want me to go back to Egypt? Well, you got to tell me who you are that sent me back to Egypt. And what did he say? I am that I am. The Lord responded. When Jesus was being questioned by the Jews the night before his crucifixion, and and they asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Remember what he said to them? He said, I am. And when he said that to those guys up on the mountain, it was at the Garden of Gethsemane, the Gospels record for us that when he said those words, I am, they fell back on the ground. I am. You're the the one that came and showed up in my way. Yeah, I am. He's going to give us another name in just a moment too. Then Manoah asked, well, when your words come true, when the baby's born, what will be his responsibilities? What will his mission be? And the angel of the Lord answered Manoah, your wife needs to do everything I told her. Again, this is the third time they've heard this now. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine or drink wine or beer, and she must not eat anything unclean. Your wife must do everything I've commanded her. Let's stop there. Point in your notes. I, gotta have, I must have my own relationship with the Lord. I must have my own re- You know, Samson's mom, she's already met him. She knows who he is. But dad hasn't seen him yet. Dad hasn't met him yet. Manoah heard his wife's testimony about the angel and about the baby to come and that he would be Israel's deliverer from the Philistines. By the way, 
again, for you theologians. Are there theologians here today? I, 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 I try to teach our church. Every one of us needs to be a theologian. Right? For you theologians here, please note that Samson is a type of Christ here in this passage. Meaning what? Meaning you see some similarities in what's happening here in this story to the story of Christ coming as a Savior, can't you? Similar, yes, but there are major differences. Yet Manoah doesn't say, he didn't listen to his wife's testimony and say, okay, honey, I'll live by your faith. He didn't do that, did he? Okay, if you want to believe that, that's fine for you. And I'll just tag along with you. He didn't do that. He prayed to the Lord. The angel came and went through it all with him, and he believed. And by the way, belief is how we get in on this new life with Christ. But the new life doesn't start and stop with belief. There's more to come. Verse 15. Please stay here, Manoah told him. and We will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, If I stay... I won't eat your food. Now, let me just say, he's not being rude here. If I stay, I won't eat your food. But if you want to prepare a burnt offering, burn it all up, offer it to the Lord. For Manoah, get this, did not know he was the angel of the Lord. He wasn't sure yet who this person was. He believed God was going to do something supernatural. He wasn't yet sure who this person was. And the point in your notes is this. The Lord doesn't need what I can provide him. Now, some of you are scratching your heads. Well, then why? Why is the, at Nagsa Church, is, we are, is it preached and taught and, and, and just kind of pounded into us that we need to serve the Lord if he doesn't need us? Because he doesn't need you. And he doesn't... Here's the deal with God. God doesn't need anything we can provide him it's the opposite we need everything he can provide us that's why we get in on all this we need him and what he can provide us it was the custom in their culture to to when a stranger came along and, and came to your home that you would you practice hospitality you divide him into your home you say i'd like to feed you a meal that was their custom and Manoah wanted to provide his guest, this quote-unquote man of God. He wanted to provide him with a lavish meal. So he's going to cook a goat with all the fixings. He's thinking, certainly this man of God, you know, he's been here pretty much all day. He talked to my wife this morning, and now he's back this evening, and it's dinner time. Certainly, he must be hungry. And you know what? That's a need I can meet. I can fix him a meal, he thought. But he doesn't quite yet know who he is. And so the Lord, and, and again, the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate visitation of Christ in human form in the Old Testament. He doesn't know who he is, and the Lord turns down the offer of food. Why? Well, he doesn't need to eat. Because after today, and he does what he's doing with them, he's going back up to heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. He doesn't need to eat. He's there for this announcement, and then he's gone. The physical body that he had for this purpose was temporary. And sometimes we can think, like Manoah, God needs something. He needs us for something, but that's really shallow thinking. Again, God has no needs. Why doesn't God have any needs? And the answer is because he's God. He is complete within himself. And if he had a need... If God really had a need, he could speak that need into existence, couldn't he? Whatever he needed. Yeah, I mean, that's how he created the universe. 
Let there be light. Boom, there's light. You know? He could speak if he had a need. He could create whatever it need was necessary to meet it. Our relationship with him, your salvation, your birth into the family of God, your part of being, you're being part of a local church ministry is not so we can meet his needs. It's not even so the gospel can be spread around the world. Because if he wanted to, he could use the angels to do that. Why has he chosen us? Because it's his plan, it's his offer of grace to us that he wants to use you and me. What a privilege we have by grace. We need him. Verse 17. Then Manoah said to him, after the angel says, I'm not going to eat it, but if you want to offer burn offering to the Lord, go for it. Then Manoah said to him, what is your name? so that we may honor you when your words come true. And the Lord had a question for him. Why why do you ask my name? Said the angel of the Lord. Since it is wonderful. Oh, that that reminds me of what we often sing and, and talk about at Christmas time from the book of Isaiah, the prophecy. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. My name is Wonderful, he told him. Manoah took a young goat and a grain offering, and he offered them on a rock to the Lord, and he did a wonderful thing. The Lord did a wonderful thing. While Manoah and his wife are watching this goat and the grain that's on this rock, and the fire underneath of it is consuming it, and it's burning up, When the flame went up from the altar to the sky, the angel of the Lord went up in its flame. When Manoah and his wife saw this, whoa, you ever seen a thing like that before, honey? Not me, never, me either. This is something supernatural. When they saw it, they fell face down on the ground, and the angel of the Lord did not appear again to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah realized it was the angel of the Lord. And what's his response? We're going to die, he said. (laughs) We're going to die. Why? Because we've seen God. His wife said to him, I love his wife, this anonymous person. We don't know her name. But she's got so much wisdom. She said, you know what? If the Lord had intended to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted the burnt offering and the grain offering from us, and he wouldn't have shown us all these things or or spoken to us like this. He wouldn't have told me I'm going to have a baby in nine months if he was going to kill me now. Her husband goes, man, you're smart. So the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson, and the boy grew, and the Lord blessed him. And then the Spirit of the Lord began to direct him in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtel. Now, write this down in your notes. What he does, he doesn't desire, he doesn't need anything from us. What he does desire from us is sacrifice and worship. Why is it some Christians, let me just ask a question. Why is it some Christians never seem to experience God like others do.
why is it that some Christians just never seem to have the kind of faith like others do? Manoah and his wife, Samson's mom and dad, sacrificed, and then the Lord did a wonderful thing. Now, please get this when I'm about to. This is kind of where the rubber's going to meet the road today for many people in this room. It's when we are willing to give up what we have for God in a way that he prescribes. How did God prescribe it? I don't want to eat it. I want you to burn it up. Now, my parents, maybe some of you, your parents, certainly your grandparents, who lived through a period of time in this country called the Great Depression. At my house, when food was prepared and set on the plate before me, the rule was you don't get up until what? It's all gone. And I have a brother, my brother um, Scott, I think it was. It might have been Andy, I don't remember tells a great story of at my grandmother's house, and my grandmother had peas or something on the plate. I don't remember. And the, and the story's great. It's when grandma, was, when, when uh, granny wasn't looking, uh, they were stuffing them in his pocket, you know? Uh, you didn't waste food. And, you know, Manoah and his wife, the Lord says, I'm not hungry, I'm not going to eat it, just burn it up. And some of us right away would say, I'm not going to do that took too long for that little goat to grow up to get to the place where we could eat him. Now you want me to burn him up? Seems like a waste, God. Please get this. Some people never get to where God wants them to be in relationship with him because we're unable to give up what we have for God in a way that he prescribes. God showed his glory in a way that they never expected, and, and he makes us see in that experience like he did with them there. You're never going to see the Lord rise up in flames. But you're going to see God do other things in your life when you first come to the place where you say, God, all that I have is yours. Remember the song we used to sing in the olden days? All to Jesus I surrender. When I get to that place in my life where I say, God, all that I have is yours, and you use it however you prescribe. When we get to that place where we can say, okay, God, I'm willing to give up, fill in the blank, whatever it might be for you. We'll never get to this place spiritually. And we look around and we see others who have this amazing trust and this amazing belief in God, who have this walk with Him. And it seems like in their lives, man, it's just like He's real and walking with them every day in their lives, who have this awe about them when they worship. I would suggest to us this morning, it's because they have learned, listen to me, they have learned to take up their cross. They have learned to surrender their all to him. And that's one reason why I personally, my heroes of the faith, the people that I look up to, you know who they are? They are our missionaries. Because I know what some of them have given up to go and do what they're doing wherever it is. I listened to their stories of, and we heard it from Don and Mary DeHart a couple of months ago when they were here. I listened to their stories as they share, you know what, and God called us to do this, and we gave, uh, gave up my career to answer his call. And I believe they have a relationship with God that most of us dream about. Not that we can't attain, because we can, 
well, if I give it all up, is he going to call me to some foreign country? Probably not, but maybe. It's about sacrifice. But I want you to notice this. After the sacrifice, they were able to worship. It's not flipped around the other way. Get that. After the sacrifice, they were able to worship. They realized they had been with the Lord. In fact, like Gideon had, they, they thought Gideon had the same response. We're going to die. At least Manoah did. But again, I love Samson's wife's remark in verse 23. We're not going to die. God's not finished with us yet. God's got this plan for us and for the son that I'm going to bear. God's promised. Listen to me, the only reason we can worship and serve is because God sacrificed his son for us. Do you get that? That's the only reason we can worship and serve him because he's sacrificed his son for us. Point your notes. If it's not in there, write it in there. Sacrifice leads to worship. Again, back to those people that really seem to have this amazing relationship with God that I just kind of, I don't get. Probably the reason they have this relationship with God is because they've learned to sacrifice. They've learned to give up so God can have more and more and more of what they own and what they possess. Hmm. Chew on that for a little bit this week, will you? Sacrifice leads to worship. Now let me say something right now to all the men, especially all you married men. Happily married men. Maybe not so much. Let me say something here to all the men. God has called you to be the spiritual leader of your home. I believe that with all my heart. You can find that in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 and 1 Peter 3. It's in the scripture. It's very, very clear. But listen to me, guys. I just want to talk to the men. Okay, ladies, just kind of think about dinner or something for a second, all right? Women are different than us. How many of you guys understand that? Raise your hand. They are different. Well, I didn't ask you to laugh now. How many? How many let me ask you this question. How many of you guys were scared to raise your hand? All right? Yeah, yeah there's one. I don't I don't want any broken ribs in church. God made them different. And one of the ways that He's made our wives different than us is that they tend to be more sensitive in every way, don't they? They are. And that includes being sensitive to the will of God. Now, I would dare say, and I'm, I'm not looking and I'm not judging anybody at all, but I would dare say of most of the married couples that are seated in this room, if anybody's taking notes, it's the wife. All right, here's some chuckles, all right? And you know what I think about that? I understand that, in a way. But I also think, come on, guys, get with it. You're, you're going to be like Manoah. We're going to die! And she's going to say, no, we're not. Look right here. Look, look what the Bible says. They're more sensitive to us, oftentimes, about spiritual things and the truth from God's Word. So listen, fellas, listen to me. If your wife is a godly woman... When she speaks from her heart 
And she speaks from the truth of God's word. If you and I, husbands, if we would listen to them more, we might not make so many spiritual mistakes as we lead our families. Amen, ladies? A couple of you. All right. So here we have this man, Samson, who was born specifically for the task. The task was what? Of defeating his people's enemies, whom God gave. He gave Samson some incredible abilities. He had this rare experience that we'll talk about as we go through it, this rare experience in the Old Testament of being controlled by the, by the Holy Spirit, yet he was very, very flawed. And what that means is Samson can teach us, you and me, a lot about ourselves. One thing that he's taught us that I want us to go with today is that God has saved us to do his work in this world. He's given every believer, if you know Jesus as your Savior, he wants you to be part of a church. Why? Because he wants you to take the abilities, the spiritual gifts that he's given you, and minister to the rest of us. Have a, you have the supernatural ability for ministry, and some of you are not using it. You're not. In every Christian lives the Holy Spirit who wants to empower us to take the gospel to the world. And he's done all of this, gifted us and, and indwelt us at, with his spirit. All of this, this in us who are weak and are flawed. We are not perfect. Those people that we look at and say, how come they have such a great relationship with God that I've never experienced? Or maybe they're just better than me. They're not. They're flawed just like you and me, Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. He said, we have this treasure. This treasure is the light of the gospel of Jesus. We have this treasure. Look what he says, in clay jars. So that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. God has taken this great treasure, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's placed it inside of us, clay jars. Clay means what? Easily breakable, fragile. You got to be careful that you don't crush it, that you don't break it. And he's done that. He's put this incredible treasure of the gospel in us. Why? To show our lives as Christians, to show us that our lives as Christians are to be evidence of his amazing power, not our strengths and abilities. Let me ask you to bow your heads. Uh, let, me, uh, let me ask you this question. Bow your heads and close your eyes for a second. Are you a new creation in Christ? Are you a new creation in Christ? Have you experienced, have you had this experience when you learned that God loves you and that Jesus came to change you and give you eternal life? Have you been there? Have you done that? If not, I would like to say to you, this morning, before you leave, we'd love to introduce you to him. Our, our pastors, Bernie and Steve, are going to be up here at the end of the song, and they'd love to talk with you about that. If you are a new creation in Christ, let me ask you, are you intentionally seeking each day to live out his purposes in your life? Meaning, are you in his word, getting his instruction? Are you building a daily relationship with him and with his people, the church? Again, our pastors would love to talk with you and pray with you. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I've known about Samson since I was a little boy, uh, you know, and I like the stories about the lion, and I like the stories about, you know, his, 
his haircut. And I like this, you know, all those stories that I remember from my childhood, and they're all fascinating stories. But I think maybe this story about you appearing to his mom and dad helps me understand him a whole lot better and understand why and how you had such a great purpose for him and what you wanted to do through him. And it helps me as a Christian understand why you've saved me and you've created me to be your masterpiece. You've created me to do the things that you planned for me from the beginning of time, from before I was ever created and thought of. So thank you for your calling in my life, in the lives of these Christians. And I would pray today, Father, if there's someone in this room that has not yet come to that place in life, where they've acknowledged Jesus as Savior, that today would be that day. I would pray that today that the Christians who are here that, that would, would easily admit, you know, I'm not where I need to be with the Lord. I look at others and wonder, how is it that they seem to walk with God? How is it that it seems like their prayers are answered all the time and it seems like mine don't get much attention? That they would realize it's about sacrifice and then that worship follows that. And that worship exposes us to who you really are in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God. Love others. Reach the world.